Oh, so um, when I was a kid uh, growing up and uh, going to Bible college and, and stuff, um, the, here's kind of the story that I was that I was told or direction I was I was given. Um, I, I was told by parents and, and other people when you face difficult times or there's um, some anxiety or frustration or things like that, uh, you should go to the Psalms and, and read the Psalms because they're, you know, they're prayers. And so they, they should help kind of soothe you and, and that kind of thing. And um, years ago, I, I struggled with uh, like, um, you know, panic attack kind of things. And uh, turns out uh, I was laying in bed and I would just stop breathing. And so that kind of triggered it. And, uh, and so I just kind of freak out, right? So I, I did what I'd been told, because that's what you do in church, right? Do what you're told. And uh, at least that's how I grew up. So, uh, so I'd get up, everybody'd be asleep in the house. I'd get up, I'd go to the other side of the, the house where I could kind of be out away from everybody. I'd sit down with my Bible and I'd open it up to the Psalms and I'd begin reading. And the Psalms were supposed to bring, like, calmness to you. And they're supposed to help you work through your issues. But often the issues that we face in life, like, come from other people, right? Like, somebody's done something that's irritated us or made us mad. And so what I found while I was reading the Psalms was that um, that, that didn't calm me down. It actually got me more worked up. Because as I'm reading the Psalms, um, one of the things you read often are, are, are passages like, um, God rain down fire on my enemies and turn their works against me, turn them on their head and all this kind of stuff. And I, I found myself like going, yeah, yeah, God, get them, you know, all those people. So it did not work out. And I finally, after years of trying that and it just didn't never happen, I decided I need to quit reading the Psalms. Uh, when I'm in those situations. When I went to the first Think Next um, in 2019, uh, down I talked about a, a few minutes ago, um, Phil was not the main speaker. He brought a guy in named Ben Sobels, a fantastic uh, guy, pastor out in California. But, um, but Phil would do these uh, like devotion talks in the morning and before the afternoon session and things like that. And they were uh, over the Psalms. And, and so um, he got up in the morning one day and he started sharing from this Psalm and he like broke the whole thing down and it was amazing. And the first time I just kind of, I just sat there listening to what he was gonna say. Um, you know, I was brand new. I'd, I'd never heard him talk before, never anything. So I just was like, I was like, wow, this is really cool. And then the afternoon session, he comes back and he said, I wanna share a little bit more with you from the Psalm. And he said, so we're gonna go back to the psalm that we had talked about in the morning session. Well, that's weird. Uh, anyway, so he brings up this psalm that we already talked about, and he already told us everything that could be known about it. And he, from a completely different angle, shared more about that psalm. And it was just like, holy cow, like I'd never heard that before. This is incredible. And so that time, I like started taking some notes. By the evening session when he came back and he said, guess what, we're gonna go back to that same song. I had my iPad out, I had my pen ready. I was ready to take notes on every single thing that he said. And uh, so if you go back and look at my notes, it's, it's Phil and his talk on the Psalms. Here's what I thought, like, 
Like Phil's a smart guy, right? He, he started Nexus, uh, he and his wife and some friends started Nexus years ago. He helps plant churches and, and lead church planters um, all over the country. He just knows what he's doing. He's got um, a doctor in front of his name. He's just a really smart guy. But, but here's the thing that, I, that really sticks out to me. When I hear him talk about the Psalms, it's like he was sitting next to David as he wrote them. And he, and he was like having a conversation with him about here's why I'm writing this and here's what's going on in my life. It's just, it's just incredible. And, um, and, and so I, I know because of that that you're going to be blessed by um, what he has to, to say today. And you're also going to be blessed by the fact that um, he's sharing uh, not on Psalm 119, which is basically as long as the entire Bible uh, in itself, uh, but he's doing Psalm 117, which is the shortest psalm in the Bible. How many verses does it have? Two. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> that'll, be, uh, that'll be good for us. Come up here, Phil. Um, while he's coming up, let's just, uh, let's, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Doc, come up here, Dr. Phil. Dr. Phil. Um, let, let, me, let me pray for you and, and for us before we get started. God, thanks for um, just this relationship and partnership with Phil. Thank you for the, the wisdom and understanding you've given him, especially. I, I know he's put the, the hours and the years and the time into studying the Psalms and, and, and learning them and just incredible. So I thank you for that gift that you've given him. And I, I pray today that we'd have eyes to see and ears to hear, that our hearts would be open and uh, that you would just speak to us through your word and through Phil today. And so thanks for bringing him and uh, God, we know you're going to bless him. Thanks for your presence in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 It's good to be back almost home, near home. I grew up outside of Topeka, Kansas, in a church planter's family. My dad started the first church I have any memory of. He was living in Missouri and wanted to go on the mission field, and God closed all the doors, so he decided to jump the Kansas border to reach godless Kansas. And there's a few of, few of us, aren't there? So I grew up in Joplin. Missouri too and then here, but I'm glad to be with you today. I would just like to remind us that no matter what's happening, no matter how many of us are here, no matter what we're doing, there's more to us than meets the eye. There's always more to us than meets the eye. Now I've got a lot invested in trying to think through the idea of, hey, having grown up in church, I probably know more about what God's up to than people who haven't. I kind of would like to think, I've got a lot of thought invested in the idea that having hung out with the people of God a lot, that I probably would understand what God's up to sooner than somebody who hadn't hung out with God's people a lot. Does that make sense? When I was growing up, we did church this way. We called it the 3 and 10 Club. You guys probably, some of you know what I'm talking about. We did church Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, and we gave 10%. Boy, we were all in. We did church, and we were at church all the time. And so you'd like to think... That having been around church people and church things and the church itself, having all this God talk going on in our lives, you'd like to think it gives us a leg up. But then I went to my Bible and found out that may not be true. It's rather disheartening. I've invested all this time in the ways of God and it might actually keep me from being able to see the way of God. You see, there's some unsettling stories. Stories in the biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that tell stories about outsiders who don't really understand anything, who suddenly meet Jesus and they got it. But the insiders, the people you'd think would understand things the best, 
We're the ones that sometimes have the hardest time understanding what God's up to. The book of Luke starts out with a story about an old priest named Zechariah from a priestly family. His daddy, his great-grandfather, his great-great-great-great-great-grandfather, they were all priests. They'd been around the ways of God their entire life by generations, and an angel comes to him. He's a priest. An angel shows up and says something pretty strange is going to happen, and he totally blew it, and he questioned the angel, questioned his credentials. Not the right answer. But that same angel, just not long after that, shows up to a young girl in a culture where girls were not taught. They were not instructed, not like the boys. And the angel tells her an even more preposterous miracle is going to happen, and she does quite well with it. You remember her name, don't you? Mary, the mother of our Lord Jesus. What is it about Zechariah, the old priest, that kept him from being able to see and understand and buy into this that let a young girl with no training and no background buy into it? And it's not just that story. You go to the book of John, and in chapter 3, it says, the teacher of Israel, a guy named Nicodemus, comes to Jesus, and he just can't understand anything Jesus is saying. And chapter 4, just one chapter later, Jesus is in Samaria running into a Gentile woman. She's never been around the ways of God the way the Jews were, and Jesus talks to her for maybe five, ten minutes, and she goes running back to town saying, I found him, I found him, I found him. What is it about us that causes us sometimes, those of us who've been around the ways of God the most, to be the hardest to be able to understand the ways of God? It happened to Jesus when he went to his own hometown one time. They looked at him and said, well, we know who he is. And they couldn't see him for anything more than he was. But yet the Gentiles in the area, they figured out who he was pretty quick. In fact, right before Jesus died, it said Jesus was in a room with his 12 disciples who he has been saying over and over, telling them, we're going to go to Jerusalem and here is what's going to happen. This is the smackdown. They're going to kill me. You got that? They're going to kill me. Several times Jesus told them, they're going to kill me. And they're in a room, and he's with his disciples, and a woman came in, and she broke open a jar of ointment, poured it on Jesus, and the disciples were like, why'd she do that? And Jesus' response was, she's been listening. She's preparing me for my burial. You guys can't hear. Now, how is it that we get to a point where we can't hear? Well, we're all good at it. There is a way of seeing that can keep us from seeing. You guys know what I'm talking about. Women, any wives here? Does your husband have the ability to hear, but not really hear? You want you get a testimony here today? It's a gift. It's a gift. We moved into a condo one time, and my wife saw everything that needed to be fixed out, and she pointed out everything that needed to be fixed. Within three days, I didn't see that anymore. She did, though. She kept reminding me. You see, we have an ability to see, but not see. We have an ability to hear, but not hear. We have ability to know something to the point that we can no longer know anything new. Am I tracking with you? We all have the ability. And in Psalm 117, we have a short, simple song that would remind us that there's more to us than meets the eye. And we need to take a look at this simple little psalm. Because it is the shortest chapter in the Bible. That doesn't mean it'll be the shortest sermon you ever heard. But it is the shortest chapter in the Bible. And it's short and it's simple. Well, maybe not so simple. Let's read it, but before we read it, let me point out. We have reason to believe that the Jewish people used this song in their worship service for upwards of 400 to 500 years before they got it, before they understood it. 
It was probably one of the most popular of the psalms that they would use. It was a short one and they would bring it out because we could just kind of use this to fill in the gaps. Corey's done quick. We're not expecting him to be done quick. So we turn to Psalm 117. Thank you. Stage. All right. Cool. I like that. So here's this simple little psalm that they would sing, but they sang it for 400 to 500 years without understanding it. What's it say? Praise the Lord, all you peoples. Extol him, all you nations. For great is his love toward us. And the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Boy, that's not that complicated, is it? Let's do it together. I'm going to read it. You guys read along with me. Let's just take the word of God before the Lord here. Because these psalms are intended to teach us how to pray. So if you would, if you want to, you don't have to, but say it with me. Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol him, all peoples. For great is his love toward us. And the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. There's two simple things that this psalm is trying to say. First thing it tells us is, is that God's love for us is great, powerful, amazing, potent. In fact, this is a rare Hebrew word that only occurs a couple times in all the Bible. One time it's used, it's used in the days of Moses. It says that the Israelites were out in the desert and they had just left Egypt with all the gold and silver and jewels they could carry. And the other nations out in the desert found out that this new group of former slaves who don't know how to protect themselves are loaded. So what are they going to do? They're going to attack. And so they came to attack, and Joshua and the men were down in the valley, and they're trying to fight off this Amalekite tribe that's coming after them to take everything and kill them. And it says Moses was on the mountain. you remember this story maybe? Moses was praying, and as long as Moses kept the staff of God lifted up before the Lord while he was praying, Israel was great over, prevailed over the Amalekites. But Moses was in his 80s. Didn't actually have very good stamina at that time. So while he was praying, he got tired and his arms started to drop. And as his arms dropped, because he dropped the staff down and the Israelites couldn't see the staff of God being held up, it says the Amalekites began to be great over the Israelites. It's a word for being prevailing. It's a word for being potent. It's a word for being powerful. And so what does the psalm say? Praise the Lord, all you nations, extolling all peoples for what? For prevailing is God's love for us. It also appeared in the story in the book of Genesis in the days of Noah. It says the storms came, the, the floods started to come. All this water out of nowhere started to arrive. And it says the waters rose to the point that it was great over the mountains. We've got a word here that carries connotations of prevailing military power. We've also got a word here that carries imitations ideas of a flood. Anybody ever lived through a flood? That's messy as all good out. Well, floods are messy. And so is love sometimes. So praise the Lord, all you nations. Extol him, all you peoples, for great is his love. Prevailing is his love. Powerful is his love. Amazing is his love toward us. It occurs also in Psalm 103. It says, the Lord is merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love. He doesn't always hold our sins against us or keep track of them and count them up on our behalf. He does not deal with us according to our sins. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great, prevailing, powerful, potent is his love toward who? Us. Now that's not that complicated, is it? How do you mess that up? 
How in the world did they sing this song for four to five centuries and misunderstand it the whole time they sang it? Well, there's another point. It says the faithfulness of the Lord, it endures forever. In other words, God's stuff doesn't have a warranty. It doesn't need a warranty. It just lasts forever. It never goes out of warranty. When God makes a promise, it's as good today as it was the first day it was ever made because that's how God is. Now, we make promises to people and look for ways to get out of them, right? That's what we hire people to do for us sometimes. We try to finagle our way out of promises we've made, or we make promises and we just break them. But God has never yet done that once. He makes a promise. He keeps the promise. His love for us endures how long? Forever. Forever and ever. So in a nutshell, what we have right here is, is we have, you could say, in the shortest chapter of the Bible, our gospel. We have a God who has a prevailing, powerful, potent love for us, and his love for us keeps its promises no matter what. I don't care what, how long it's been. I don't care what's transpired. It doesn't really matter what we've done. God's going to keep the promises he's made. That's good news, isn't it? Now, how do we mess that up? Because they did. They sang it for four to 500 years, not understanding it. Well, I'll try to explain it. And I'm kind of handicapped because I've never had any training in theater but I'll try to do it here. There's two different ways to sing this song. It could be sung like this. Praise the Lord, all you nations. Exalt our God, all you people, for great is his love toward us, which is very different than praise the Lord, all you nations. Exalt him, all you people, for great is his love toward who? Us. All of us. And we know they sang it with a sneer. They turned it into a spiritual trash talk with the neighbors. We know they did, because it says that in the days of Jonah, the prophet, the Lord came and said, Jonah, go to Nineveh, them, those people. Preach the word because I want them to come and become one of us. And Jonah went the exact opposite direction. The prophet did not want to obey. Why? Because he didn't want them to become us. In fact, he told God that in the book of Jonah. Jonah was asked by the Lord, why did you do this? And Jonah says, because I know what kind of a loving and enduringly faithful God you are. And if I go tell them about you, they're going to turn to you. And then those dirty, rotten scoundrels are going to be us. And I don't want to be us with them. I want them to remain them. Those people need to continue to be those people, not us. We're us. They're them. Let's keep it that way. It happened like that all throughout the Old Testament. It happened like that in the days of Jesus. Remember Luke chapter 15, three of many of our favorite stories that Jesus told. Get told because some Pharisees catch him hanging out with some people they didn't consider to be us. He's hanging out with the wrong sort. So Jesus told us, Lord, all you nations, extol him, all you people, for great is his love toward who? Us. All of us. But the Jews sang it like that. And we even sometimes in our own day sing it that way, maybe. We just don't catch ourselves doing it, but we do. There was a piece of artwork that I found one time when my wife and I were out shopping. I'm not in the habit of buying art, but we decided to buy this one because we were starting another church and we wanted our people to see this piece of artwork. It was painted by a guy named Don Spalding. He named it The Outsiders. 
The picture was of some cowboys who were outside of a church. He was told that as he was growing up, his aunt had lived on the plains of Kansas like I grew up too. And the cowboys, when they wanted to go to church, had to sit outside the church and listen through the windows because they weren't members of the community and they couldn't dress appropriately. So they never had a chance to be us. We need to be the people who are people for the outsiders. We need to remember that our gospel says, praise the Lord, all you nations. Extol him, all you people. Why? For great is his love. Prevailing is his love. Powerful, potent is his love. Toward who? Us. All of us. And the problem is we're surrounded by people who don't know they're us, but they're us. They just don't know it yet. And they won't know they're us until we start treating them like they're us. And we hang out with them and we love them and we pour our lives into them. And some of them are all of a sudden going to wake up one day and realize they're us. And they start hanging out with us. And then what do we do? We keep looking for the rest of us. Because there's more to us than meets the eye. So what we have here is we have three things. One is we have a reminder. Now, Corey, is everyone who attends a real-life church here today? No. You know, preachers never get that magical Sunday that, you know, we're always waiting for the day when everybody comes. Because, you know, people stay home because they're sick or because they found a better preacher on TV. Not with you, though. I know you're the exception. Um, or they're on vacation or they got called out of town on travel. And so you're waiting. I know you are because I am, too, at my own church. I'm waiting for that Sunday when all of us show up. But let me tell you something. Even if everyone who called real life their church home showed up, not all of us are here yet. Because there's still more of us to be reached. There's more of us who have to hear about God's great, prevailing, enduring love. And so it's a reminder that his love is for us. But the rest of us don't know they're us because sometimes we don't treat them like they're us. It's a reminder. I think it's also meant to be a nudge, a prod, a poke. I think this is God's way of saying, get with it, boy or young girl. God's way of saying, let's do this. It's a nudge from God. Jesus said that people will know you're my disciples by what? Your love. Your love for all of us. Paul says three, these three things remain. Faith, hope, and love. Our love for all of us. You see, there's more to us than meets the eye. It's a reminder. It's a prod. It's a poke. It's a nudge. It's also an invitation, I would say, to get into the game of finding the rest of us. Paul writes to the Romans in his letter to Romans, chapter 1, verse 6, he says, Hi, I'm an apostle, and I've been given the job by God to reach the Gentiles, the rest of us. And then in verse 13 of Romans, chapter 1, he says, I've come unto you because I hope to reap a harvest amongst the rest of us. In chapter 116 he says, I'm not ashamed of the power of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation for who? All of us. And then in chapter 2 following he just starts to unpack this a prevailing amazing covenantal story of a God who made promises to Abraham and he's still keeping those promises today and he unpacks the entire story all the way through Romans and then you get to Romans chapter 15 and he's trying to sum up the whole thing. He wants us to understand something that just gets missed so often. And then he remembered that short little song tucked away in the Psalms. The shortest psalm of all. 
maybe the psalm that they sang most often of all. And for the first time, perhaps since it was written four to 500 years before that, one of us picked up the song and realized, oh, it's not about us. It's about all of us. Praise the Lord, all you nations. Extol him, all you people. For great is his love toward all of us. There's nobody God doesn't love. Now, I know some of you might be thinking ahead, saying, Preacher, you know, there's going to be a day when some of us aren't going to hear good news. Some of us are going to be separated from the rest of us. Jesus talked about sheep on one side, goats on the other. Those that are destined for heaven on one side, those that are destined for hell on the other. Yeah, that day's coming. But who decides who's us and who's not us? He does. He did not leave it to us to decide who's us. So what's our job? We just assume everybody's guilty. They're all us. And we start loving them like they're us. We include them like they're us. We hang out with them. We feed them. We just, we enjoy them like they're us. Because they're all us. They're all children of God. And it's up to him to decide when and how he might want to separate things out. So I'm here with you today. I'm here to remind you, remind me. I'm here to remind us, prod us, invite us. In fact, this is why we start new churches, and this is frankly how we start churches. And frankly, you're not just a new church anymore. How old is this congregation now? Oh my God, you got a church that's in the teens. I am so sorry, dude. <laughs> They're terrible during the teen years. That was when I wanted to send them away, even though I knew they were us. They weren't acting like they were us all the time. This is how we start churches. This is why we start churches, and this is how even established churches, 15-year-old churches, stay in the game. By just loving us and assuming they're all us and loving on them like they're all us. So those of us who claim to be us need to be reminded that the rest of us are outside our open door. And you are going to get in cars and you're going to go out for lunch or you're going to drive past homes and you're going to pull into your neighborhood and you're going to drive right past or amongst homes where some of us are. They just don't know it yet. And how will they find out? Because we start treating them just like they're us already. And we love them. Because we have a very simple song to sing. And we get it now. We understand it. Praise the Lord, all you nations. Extol him, all you peoples, for great is his love toward every stinking one of us. And the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Can I say amen to that? Amen. Would you pray with me? Father God, if there's anyone here right now that doesn't know for sure they're us, let them talk to one of us. I don't know what the pattern here is that this church, I meet people at the back of my auditorium. If they want to come forward, if they want to chase Corey down and snag him, let us be reminded that your love is for all of us. Father, if there's any of us that feel like we've walked away and like the prodigal son, we need to come back to the Father. Let us be reminded that we never lose our sonship or our daughtership. We can always return, and you will be excited to see the rest of us come home. And Father, if there's any here that would recognize that even though they never really said it, they've been 
living as though the rest of us don't matter. They've been driving past their homes. They've been ignoring. They've not been sparking friendships and conversations with the rest of us. Well, help us to be the us that reach out to the rest of us. Help us to never forget. There's more to us than meets the eye. In the name of Jesus, we pray this. Amen? Amen. Thanks, Phil. Um, let's stand up and we'll sing one more song. Oh, hey. <laughs> Thanks, Phil. <laughs> let's stand up and we'll sing one more song.
Thanks for being here this morning. Two quick things to tell you. Uh, what's our mission? To help every person possible find real life in Jesus. That's the us, right, that Phil was talking about. Um, hey, I want to welcome somebody. This is, this is kind of cool. Tanya Cummings and her husband, I believe his name is Gary. They uh, have never been to real life before. Um, but they are friends of Jim and Julie's and they started watching our live stream about a year ago and um, they uh, attend faithfully every week from their living room. Last Sunday was Tanya's first time being one of our online hosts and uh, so she and her husband have been, if you're joining us online, she's there welcoming you uh, along with Alex um, and Jessica Pyle and uh, being a part of that team. Um, so listen, you, you know what that means? We, we have a couple who's never been to church here, but is a part of church here. That's pretty cool. <laughs> and uh, gets to help and, 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 uh, and what Ray was talking about today, serve in a way that they can by helping other people who join us online feel at home. And uh, so that's, uh, that's awesome. So welcome, Tanya, Gary, thanks for uh, being a part of Real Life. And all of you, thanks for being here this morning. We're going to go back to Coffee Mug Christianity next Sunday. So I hope that you're here for that. Have a great week. We'll see you then. Thanks for tuning in to Real Life Live. Our hope and prayer is that the time you've spent with us has left you encouraged and challenged in your faith. It may have also left you with some questions or maybe wondering how all this faith stuff works. So we want to help you with that. Head over to reallifecc.us for a few different ways we can connect. We're thankful you joined us today and want to extend an invitation for you to join us in person at our current home in El Dorado, Kansas at the Civic Center, 201 East Central on Sundays at 10 a.m. We hope you'll keep tuning in and growing in your faith to look more like Jesus every day. See you next time.